<laughs> so, we're, we're doing a short little mini-series called Hungry. Hungry. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God? I'm just going to pray. Jesus, will you give us hunger for you? Will you open our ears now to hear what it is you want to say to each one of us specifically? Thank you, you want to feed us each day. Will you feed us now on your word, in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The most basic food source, isn't it, for most nations in the world. Now this passage comes straight after a passage where he has fed 5,000 men, 5,000 um, people, but actually that would have been men and women and children, so it would have been way more than 10,000, and he'd fed them with a tiny little lunch. And then the disciples had got in a boat, they'd crossed over the sea, and the, um, all the crowd had seen that, and then Jesus in the middle of the night had walked across the water, got in the boat, and they all arrived the other side. So this is where the passage starts, and that's why it's saying, I think it's page 1070, so if you've got your blue Bibles handy nearby, is that right, 1070? John chapter 6, verse 25. Is that the right page, 1070? Jesus, the bread of life. So when they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, how did you get here? Because they'd seen the disciples go off and they hadn't seen Jesus go off. And Jesus said to them, he gives a bit of a kind of, he's he's challenging them. He's saying, I know why you're looking for me. Because you saw the signs I performed and you ate the loaves and had your fill. So he's saying, they've come looking for him. They've had a nice dinner. They've had a free meal. They were hungry, didn't have any food. Jesus gave them miraculously food. And then where, he, where was he in the morning? They all ran around the lake and found him. Here you are, here you are. And he's saying to them, why are you looking for me? Why are you looking for me? It's because I fed you, isn't it? It's because I gave you bread. And he goes on to make this incredible statement on ver- in verse 35, if you have a look at this verse. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I've highlighted here on this slide the word come and the word believe. Jesus is saying, come to me and believe in me. Come, and when you come, believe. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I am the source of true satisfaction for your soul. I'm the only one who can satisfy the hunger and thirst in your soul. And he calls us now, it's the same message, come to me. Come to me, come to me and believe in me for I am the one that can satisfy you. Do we come to him each day to satisfy the longing of our soul or do we go to Netflix and chocolate Sometimes it seems easier to do that, doesn't it? What do we go to to satisfy the longing of our soul? What do we fill our, try and fill that longing with? What things? And when we do come to him, do we believe in him? So, I don't know if we can just drop the lights briefly. This is my badge of honour this week. 
So I don't know how, who else queued. My sister-in-law got straight off a plane from California and went, made two egg sandwiches and went and joined the queue for 12 hours overnight. Mine, I don't know how we managed it. We only did five hours from Blackfriars Bridge, so we, we got lucky. That's me just on the left-hand side at the bottom there, walking away, and my daughter with the cream cardigan just curtsying there. We can raise the lights again. Why would people, and Julie, Julie and Poppy and, and William and other people here, Vaughn did last night, and she's still here. She did 12 hours last night. Why are these people mad enough? Why would we give up a whole day freezing cold and you have to throw away all the bits of food at the end that broke my heart that I hadn't eaten? But anyway, um, why would we do that? Why? Because we do the things that matter to us. We do the things that are important to us, don't we? If something matters to us, we will put time and effort into it. These three weeks, we're looking at being hungry. We're looking at being hungry for God. And we want this nation to turn to God, don't we? And actually, if I'm really honest with myself, I don't know what that would look like because I've never seen that. And do I even believe that's possible? But God has visited places. At times, there have been moves of God in specific towns and cities and nations that are called revivals. And our John Coles, who spoke last week, who was phenomenal, please listen to the talk last week if you missed it, he referenced this guy we heard at New Wine, John Tyson, who visited, Australian guy, who visited all these places where revivals have happened, and he was saying, what is the common denominator? Why was there a move of God where thousands turned to Christ? Why? And it was hunger, hunger for God. People would come and pray with hunger all night. The Hebridean revival started with two old ladies fervently praying, hungering, hungering, hungering after God. And the Holy Spirit was attracted to that hunger. I'm so challenged by that. What is your hunger level like for God at the moment? Just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Do you come to Jesus each day? Do you seek him and hunger after him and thirst after him? Do you believe he is truly the one who can satisfy your soul day after day after day? Are your times with him your source of daily bread? Your source of living water? Please open your eyes. These are the questions I've been asking myself. And I, I preach this to myself today because I've been asking myself these questions and trying to stir up more hunger in me for God. I've actually been chatting to my son David and I'm going to invite him to come up. And um, come on, let's... Oh, where's the other? Do you want to grab that mic? Yeah, just grab that one. So we've been chatting, and I've been asking David about his hunger journey with God. So um, he's just going to tell us a little bit about that. So obviously, I've known David all my life. <laughs> and um, David, as a little boy, loved Jesus, gave his life to Jesus, and went through life, got to the sixth form, and he's going to pick up the story there. So, Yeah, so, um, well... As, as Mum said, like I, I was following Jesus when I was younger, but then in, in the sick form, I, I had a difficult time. I was, um, felt quite lonely, isolated. Everyone was just 
studying hard for exams and um, yeah, in, in their rooms a lot of the time. And I was in my room a lot of the time. Um, and during that time as well, I was kind of like looking at what my friends were doing, and I thought that that looks fun. That like they they look like they're having fun. Um, and why do I have to mess around with all this like Christian stuff and help out with I don't know kids or worship or all this when when I could be having fun um, and I, I could be sleeping around and getting drunk and that's that's exactly what I wanted to do when I went to university. I, I, like I was like oh, I just want to go to university so I can just live my own life, follow my own desires. Um, but it didn't happen that way. Um, instead. Uh, I'd, I'd already signed up to this gap year course called Soul Edge, um, which is an adventure leadership course out in Canada for intentional disciples of Christ. Um, but when I turned up on this course... So you'd signed up for it when you were more intentional, yeah. and then that had all changed, but you had already paid for the course, bought all the kit for minus 20 degrees. And, and it was an adventure leadership course. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll go for the adventure... And then the Christian stuff can be... You know, the skiing, climbing frozen waterfalls, all yeah. that stuff. And suddenly then it hit you, didn't it? So yeah, I went on it and I had to tell the course leader, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. Um, and he was really good with me. I was like, okay. Um, because he, yeah, he, he challenged me then to get the questions I had answered um, and to be vulnerable, be real with myself, like where I'm at. Um, and so you listened, didn't you? You just listened. You thought, yeah. okay, I'm away from parents, I'm away from home. I'm just going to listen and figure out what I believe for myself. And what did you think conclusion that you were going to come to? What did you think that conclusion you were going to come to? Well, I, yeah, I thought that as I, as I gained more information, I'd, I'd become an even more um, stronger atheist. You know, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd then be able to live my own life and go to, go to uni. But again, it didn't happen, out, um, happen that way. And uh, within two weeks, I'd give my <laughs> life to Jesus again. Um, and the process of that was that um, I, uh, like, when, when it got to the teachings, it, it rang true with my heart. And, and um, I realized, like, oh, there is some truth to this. And that built and built. And there was still a bit of a barrier, wasn't there? Mm. So even though it was true, there was still a bit of a problem. And what was that? Yeah, so, um, so for me, in my family, if you know my family, we're, we're riddled with vicars. Um, and so I thought God would call me to be a vicar and, and for me that was like God was just a dictator who just said do this because I tell you to do it and that was it the doesn't last matter thing, what you think or last feel last thing you wanted to do but then I, in conversation with a, um, a leader they broke it down and said like, no yeah. God's designed say, us say designed us for a purpose and, and whatever that purpose is, is will bring us most fulfilment um, mm-hmm. And so, whether I'm called to be a vicar or not, um, <laughs> it will I, like I, I will be most fulfilled in that. And so, from that point on, my the foundation of my faith was God is good because He's got a great plan for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and there was a book that you studied, wasn't there? Um, that actually yeah. I've got Have over got here. Yeah, the book was called Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. So, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so we had some great teaching on Soul Edge, and one of the series was Celebration of Discipline which sounds like the most dull book ever, but it is actually incredible, and I, I, I just think it's absolutely essential for any Christian because it gives out an entire tool set of disciplines, of like practical things that you can do to hunger after God, to, to, um, in your pursuit of God. 
grow closer to him. So, this is actually a real Christian classic, mm. and it's been reprinted year after year after year. So this is the latest reprint, yeah. Yeah, and it's got like fasting, prayer, study, worship, celebration. Meditation, solitude. Meditation, solitude, yeah, fasting, loads, yeah, yeah, loads. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, like, we, we practice that on Soul Edge, and we practice all these things. So that coming off of Soul Edge, I had a, a, a rhythm to my life, and I had these things as a routine so like every morning I would have like a time of prayer, Bible study, um, just seeking after God. And um, yeah, that went well into uni and, and it framed my whole university experience. Um, so, so you'd been, you'd, you know, you'd kind of given your life back to the Lord, mm-hmm. yielded to him. You discovered that God wasn't a dictator, God was good. And um, you'd got this good rhythm of life and had two years at uni. And what happened then? Uh, well, COVID happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and for, I think for most of us, I think you can agree, it, it was a difficult time. Um, and again, it was isolating and lonely. And um, I, I was so passionate going into COVID. And, I, and when COVID hit, I was like, this is, this is amazing. Could God, can, God can just show himself in such an amazing way and literally just like put a stop supernaturally to it. Um, but it didn't happen that way. And the months kept kind of rolling on and People were still dying. People were still getting sick, and and I was like, God, where are you? Like, what? Um, I, I kind of doubted. I had a lot of doubts and questions about like who God is because He wasn't doing what I expected Him to do. Um, so, what happened to your rhythm of life then? And you had yeah. these doubts and started to believe some stuff, didn't you? Yeah. About God and. Um, so yeah, like my my because because of those like doubts. Uh, it, my routine and my those like early morning prayer times, it was it was a struggle. I still kept pressing in, but it was a real struggle because it was like my beliefs were being challenged, and and so like and God, I kind of God didn't really expect God. He hadn't acted in the way you'd wanted him yeah. to or thought he should. So what helped you then at that time? Um, so we've got another book <laughs> to plug. Um, what I have, yeah. it's called Gentle and Lowly. Um, and this is all about who God is. So what the Bible says um, about who God is, rather than what he does, is who he is. And it's always just like, um, never mind about what he does, like we're coming back to who he is. Um, and so reading this book, I realized that actually before my um, faith was foundational, well, the foundation of my faith was on God is good because of what he can do for me, what he what he will do and and that's true but actually God is good because of who he is and actually what he does flows out of who he is Um, even if it's not the way we think he should act yeah and so in my in my quiet times that then became the framing and it was a much firmer foundation like whatever happens whatever he does that's outside of my expectations like he is good no matter what and the truths in the bible then Mm. um well, what I could meditate on yeah. in, in those times. So that was a big yeah. shift, wasn't it? So actually, when you spend time with God, what do you actually do? Just um, being really practical. Yeah, so, well, I uh, definitely recommend some kind of routine, have like a, um, and I'd say the morning is the, is the best time for that because it just frames the whole of your day. So in, in that morning routine, just set aside some time it might be 
10 minutes, might be 15 minutes, could be well up to three hours, I, I don't know, but <laughs> definitely build up to that, I reckon. Um, but in that routine, I, I start with some meditation first, which is just like still my mind, still my thoughts, and anything that comes up, um, any worries or anxieties, bring it to God. Um, and uh, and trust it to else? him. Yeah, and really trust <laughs> yeah, it. Just, yeah, trust it to him and thank, thank him for the day ahead. Uh, and it reframes my mind, reframes um, this yeah, quiet time with him. Then I go into kind of some Bible study, um, just really trying to pick out what, what it's saying, what the passage is saying. Uh, and and you, then, got, you found doing New Testament in the morning helpful, mm. don't you? And you kind of read another chunk yeah, later in the day. It's a bit more you? understandable yeah, than yeah. New, New Testament, <laughs> I find, rather than Leviticus. Can get a bit First odd. thing in the morning, yeah. Um, and then off the, off the back of what you've read in the New Testament. Yeah, then, then like prayer, and, prayer or worship, um, really just praying about what, what the passage was saying or like a specific thing on my heart at that moment. Um, but it's all just kind of like trying to, to follow where my hunger is uh, for, for God. So, like, it might end up just being a whole worship session in that morning, or, or it might just be uh, you're loving this Bible passage, so you just keep reading on. Um, but, yeah, it, it can be as flexible or as set as you want, but just get, yeah. get some kind of routine in place. So just if you could pinpoint one particular thing that's helped you more than anything in your hunger for God, what would that be, of all the stuff you've been learning over the last few years? Um, I'd say the best discipline in celebration discipline is fasting um by far it, like for, for being hungry for god definitely um not just obviously hungry for food when you when you fast um and that's that's the kind of fasting that i i tend to you, you can fast other things um but it's it's physically saying like my hunger for food is not as important as my hunger for god and it's like um, it, it, every time, every time your body's saying like, "Oh, I'm, I'm hungry," or, or "I'm bored," um, or "I'm frustrated," or "angry," then it's like you just go, "No, I'm not." I like it, it's literally like crucifying that and saying, "I want to live by the Spirit. I want to seek after what um, after my desire for God instead of my desire for." And you found, haven't you, actual physical fasting, right? once a week or something has actually really increased your hunger for God yeah. as well. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Trying to get into that routine yeah. again. So yeah. let's just give him a clap because thank you very much. That's amazing. I think it's so helpful, isn't it, to hear other people's stories and what works for them and what's helpful for them. We're just going to get really practical now. Um, if you feel dry spiritually, if you feel like, I know I should hunger after God, but I just kind of don't really know where to start. Let's get really practical. Pray for hunger. Pray that God gives you spiritual hunger. If you don't feel hungry for God, but you want to be closer to him, but kind of almost can't be bothered, but you know you should and you kind of want it, but you're just not there. Pray, God, stir up hunger within me. I've been doing that recently. Um, make time. We can't get close to Jesus. We can't get to know someone without giving them time, can we? We can't really have a relationship with somebody without giving them time. Now, at this point, I'm just going to do a little note to parents. <laughs> because, you know, it's easy when our kids were little, think, oh, it's okay for these people whose kids are grown up or who don't have kids or who are grandparents, this, that, and the other. But I've got children all the time. Um, 
Parents, do your kids see you hungering after God? Do they see you hungering after God? Because your kids are going to learn to hunger after God if they see you hunger after God. And if they don't see you hunger after God, the chances are they're not going to hunger after God. So Julie advertised this phenomenal course. You are mad if you do not sign up for it if you've got kids. That's all I can say. The stuff on this course that is hand held out to you on a plate by Zoom, you don't even have to leave your, leave your rooms, your house, I had to dig for in books, in conferences, in seminars, talking to people whose children followed the Lord. I wanted to know what will help my children follow the Lord. And I had to put time and effort and money and physical um, hassle into it. And this course is on a plate for you. If you've got kids, do the Parenting for Faith course because it teaches you how to help your children hunger after God. Hunger after God. If you're flaky about church, if you're flaky about, I kind of go every once a month or once every two weeks or that kind of thing, your kids, you're modeling to your kids. If they see you hungering after God and being in fellowship every week, that you're not going to miss it because I'm hungering after God and I want my kids to see what it is to hunger after God. We can't be Christians on our own. Let your kids see it is important. What do we do on Sundays? What did the queen do every single Sunday of her life? went to church. What did she model to our nation? Families, you know, plan your activities and your social times around that. Ink it in. It's not that church is the be all and end all, but let your children see you are hungry for Jesus. I'm getting a bit passionate there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I realized my kids never saw me read the Bible because I read the Bible when they were at at school. So I, you know, let your kids see you worshiping. Let your kids see you read the Bible. Let your kids see what's important to you. Okay, enough, enough. Cut out distractions. Okay, phone, right? Got to be in the other room. You know, that's my master more than my slave, more than I care to even tell you. It's got to be in the other room for me because if that's in the same room as me when I'm trying to seek after God, oh my goodness, it's like magnetic. It sucks me in and I just can't resist. Oh, I hear a little buzz. Oh, somebody's texting me. Get rid of the distractions, you know, wherever you can. Get a routine, like David said. Get a discipline. Look at this quote. I had to think about this because actually, oh my goodness, this guy was a Dutch um, priest and author, amazing godly man. Whereas discipline without discipleship leads to rigid formalism. We're going to do this again, so don't worry. Discipleship without discipline leads to sentimental romanticism. Okay. If we're saying discipleship is following Jesus, hungering after Jesus, seeking after him, If you've got really disciplined life, but actually the posture of your heart is not really seeking after God, you're just going to kind of be rigidly formal and religious. But if you're kind of seeking after God, but you don't put any discipline in your life, sentimental romanticism, I felt quite challenged by that quote. Look at this. Psalm 55, 16, 17. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. How many times a day? How many times a day did Daniel cry out to God? Three times a day, didn't he? So, you know, yes, the morning time is, is such a great time before the day. You know, tune up the orchestra before the, before the performance. But almost as well, I find with Bible reading, kind of have a little devotional bit in the morning, but maybe carve out a little few minutes at lunchtime. Do have a routine at bedtime. My daughter lights a little candle at bedtime and just says some, says some sort of beautiful rhythm prayers that she has at bedtime where she's just committing herself to the Lord before bed as well. 
These are just ideas, okay, to help our juices going, because I've been thinking, how can I, how can I stir up hunger in myself? Okay, here's the third book of the morning, right? The Discipline of Intimacy. How many of you have ever fallen in love? Ever? 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 Okay. And if you, if you actually, actually um, were able to, would it have been hard to spend time with that person you were in love with? No. You'd be thinking about them. Well, and now, now, day and age, you'd be texting them all the time, wouldn't you? Or FaceTiming them. But you'd be thinking about them all the time. When I, when I first fell in love with Andy, I didn't get any work done in the office. When I got engaged, I'd just sit there, look at my engagement ring, how it catches the light. You know, did I have to discipline myself to spend time with him? Of course, every day. Um, I don't have to discipline myself to spend time with him. It was just natural. I was in love with him and I wanted to be with him. And, and when I came home from work, if there was a letter on the doormat, oh, my heart was, you know, and if there wasn't, oh, you know, in those days of letters, anybody remember those? The Discipline of Intimacy, what a strange title. The Joy and Awe of Walking with God. This is a book about prayer, but it's actually a book about how we communicate with God, different types of prayer, but really how we can connect with God on a heart basis. And, you know, when you fall in love, you spend time getting to know that person, don't you? How can we get to know God better? I'm just going to read you a tiny little bit. In the early part of the Bible, we come across a mysterious sentence. Enoch walked with God. For the person of prayer, this is one of the most fascinating phrases in the whole Bible. It sounds more like a song from another country. It has an aroma about it that woos us into a different way of life that may be possible, perhaps even to enjoy today. Enoch walked with God. Enoch's greatness was, it seems, not in education, business, or artistic or sporting achievement. He was great in the sight of God. Because he walked with God. So my mother, for those who don't know, my mother went to be with the Lord in January. And we've had a process of clearing her house and selling her house and dealing with all that stuff. And I had a very strange moment this summer where we'd found her school certificates, which were um, the equivalent of O-levels and A-levels, and her degree. And we had the actual certificates. And I thought, what do I do? You know, every bit of paper, what do I do with it? You know, what do I do with it? What do I do with it? And I'm here. This is her A-level and O-level certificates, her degree. What do I do with it? And in the end, I threw it in the bin. And I did it on the day the A-level results came out. And it felt the most... It felt wrong. It felt bizarre. It almost felt immoral to be throwing a degree certificate and her school certificates in the bin. But it just struck me. When my mum stood before Jesus, did Jesus say, have you got your certificates with you? You know, no, my daughter's just thrown them in a bin. I told her I'd throw everything in the bin anyway when she died, and actually I did mostly. But, you know, all the stuff we treasure, you know, anyway, if you're here and you're doing O-levels and A-levels and a degree, you know, there is value to it. You know, I'm not saying that. Of course, she worked hard for that. And actually, she threw herself into whatever the things God had called her to do, and she worked hard for those things, and they were important. But... Actually, she walked with God. My mum walked with God. That's what, she had a hunger for God right to her dying breath. Isn't that amazing? So then, we've carved out time, we've, we've put our phone away, we've got a routine, what do we do? And just like the ingredients of a cake, these are the basic ingredients, you know, thanksgiving, praise, worship, read his word, prayer. It's so helpful just hearing what David does in his life, you know, but what are you going to do in yours? 
There's a lovely verse that says, Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Isn't that brilliant? And it's from when they would come, the Jewish people would come into Jerusalem, they'd make a pilgrimage, they'd walk towards the temple and they were going through that gate. And as they were going through that gate, they were thanking him. And then as they progressed further, they were praising him. So when my kids were younger, you know, in the car, you've got these long car journeys, they're all starting to fight and get fractious and poke each other and everything. So we'd play a game. What couldn't I live without? What couldn't I live without? Highly recommend this game. And it was a memory game. So each person had to say something and the next person had to say the one before and then theirs and then the next person. So, for example, one time it went like this. I couldn't live without tomato ketchup. Next person, I couldn't live without tomato ketchup or toilet paper. Next person, I couldn't live without tomato ketchup, toilet paper or cricket. Next person, I couldn't... I remember this, literally. I couldn't live without tomato ketchup, toilet paper, cricket or friends. I couldn't live without tomato, what was it? Tomato ketchup, toilet paper, cricket, friends, or toe socks. I remember that one because one of them had got these awful stripy socks with toes that were the most uncomfortable things ever. But each person had to say it. And of course, we hated toe socks. I had to say that. People that didn't like cricket had to say cricket. People that didn't like, you know. And you go around as many times as you can, and it's hilarious um, because the people, you know, if someone said Barbie dolls, my daughter, and then all the boys, her brothers had to say Barbie dolls, it can be quite funny. But actually, you know what? How do we, when we come into God's presence, what do we practically do? You know, I want to hunger after him. I want to seek after him. I want to be intentional. Start with thanks. And thanks for the things you couldn't live without. You know, thank you, Lord, for toilet paper is a very good prayer, genuinely, because we are privileged to have it. But we take it for granted. Thank you, Lord, for running water in my home. Thank you that I don't have to walk for. Thank you that I can have a hot shower whenever I want. Thank you. And there's something about just thanking Jesus for things that that just gets us grateful. It stops us feeling self-pitying for a start. And then that leads in. It's like the gateway to praise. And praise. When, When you praise someone, you're praising them. Hey, you did a great job when you did that. Let's tell God some of the great jobs he did. So we're thanking him for stuff. Then praise him. What a great job you did when you did that. What a great job you did when you created that tree what a great job you did when you brought the seasons what a great job you you know and then praise is the gateway to worship and then we come into worship where we actually start to connect with him and that's what we're seeking to do and we can read his word and pray and all of these things basic ingredients i want to worship i want to mention something that is so useful in our pursuit of god that we often overlook our physical posture our bodies what was everyone doing by the queen's coffin have you watched the have you watched it's quite mesmerizing actually and it's very moving i've been quite tearful watching the crowds come past the you know past the lying in state most people bow what what does it mean when someone bows what does that mean if you see someone bow what what are they saying without words respect honor, honor. It's reverent, isn't it? Polite, humility. That a posture, something means I'm, I'm giving you honor. And I've discovered that it helps me, to be really practical with you, it helps me in the morning how I physically posture my body. And I've started to kneel down to pray. Because there's something about when I'm thrown back in the armchair and I'm chatting to Jesus. Because it's a very casual kind of thing. I can have a casual attitude 
I don't know what it is. It's like our minds, our bodies, our souls, they're all interconnected, aren't they? So how I posture myself physically affects actually what's going on in my heart. So I found it really helpful for me, and it might be helpful for you, depending on your knees, actually to kneel. Um, and as I kneel, instantly the physical, you know, actually physically kneeling down, kneeling down before God, instantly my heart is postured in a different place to God. And instantly I'm reminded that he is God, and he, I, he is worthy of my worship, and he's worthy of my praise. It's a humble position, and it's a position of honor and respect. And, and I find it really helps me. So I'm just offering this to you. The Bible is riddled with references of using our bodies in worship. It's normal. Biblical worship is normal to raise our hands, to sing, to be flat on our faces, to dance, to shout, and, you know, um, where am I, my notes? <laughs> I don't know how many of you have been to Israel, been to the Western Wall. Have you watched some of the lovely Jewish people who are praying there? What are they doing all the time? They're moving. They're moving. They're bowing, or they're swaying, or they're rocking. There's this lovely verse that that's based on. Why do they do that? Why, are they, why aren't they just standing still? Psalm 35 in these Bibles is translated wrong. It says, all my being shall say to you, who's like you, O Lord? But the actual translation, all my bones shall say, who, O Lord, is like you? So even with my bones, I can worship God with my body. And why wouldn't we use our body if it's going to help us connect with God? So I really encourage you, maybe you haven't really been very expressive physically with the Lord you know, in public, but on your own with Jesus, try it. Try using your body. You know, what is a little child? What does this mean when a little child does this? What can it mean? Cuddle? What else can it mean? Food? <laughs> what else can it mean? Help? That, that position means a lot of things, doesn't it? What does it mean in a football ground? Worship. Think what it, you know, and when, when, when I do that to the Lord, that there's something about, Lord, I am hungering after you, or Lord, I'm worshipping you. Lord, with my whole being. It's something physically I do opens up my spirit to God. So try it, guys. Try it. This, um, yeah, uh, this was the book that I, I'm going to put all these books here. You can just come up and look at them. So this celebration of discipline, the one that David mentioned, it has rhythms, old school rhythms of how people connected with God, spiritual disciplines. That's so good. Gentle and lowly. This is discovering who Jesus is, the heart of Jesus, the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers, his heart. And then this actually how to connect with him in prayer. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray and listen to me. You will seek me and find me and you search with me with all your heart. This is what's such a beautiful promise because honestly, it's really hard to get the ball rolling, I find, in seeking God. It's hard to get the ball rolling. Have you ever had to push something really heavy? Have you ever had to push a car that stopped and try and start it? It's so hard to get it going. But once the car's going, it's easy, isn't it? And I think that's what David was saying. So it's, it's um, really helpful that, that actually when we start hungering and seeking after God, once to start with it's hard, we might be dry 
it just might be really hard and we might think, I can't be bothered anymore. It's just easier to turn the telly on. And I know that in my life there have been times I've been so dry. I found it so hard to seek him and almost just haven't wanted to. I'd just rather scroll on my phone or eat chocolate or phone a friend. So we need to press in and get other people to pray for you if that's it. You know, because we can lose our hunger. But Jesus said, come to me and believe in me. Come to me and believe in me. Many people were around Jesus. There were thousands, weren't there, in the crowd. Are we one of the crowd or are we a disciple who's going to follow after him? Are you one of the crowd who comes on Sunday and gets the food that someone else has worked for and dishes out to you, the treasure that they've dug for and hands to you, and comes on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday to your connect group and gets the treasure someone else is handing to you. What about the days in between? Are you a member of the crowd or are you a disciple? Do you seek him on your own when no one's around? Because that is where the treasure is. And when we come together, we should all bring our treasure that we have been discovering on our own. The fire that has been lit on our own in that secret place. And when we come together, that will be a big fire, won't it? Rather than us coming cold, hoping that that preacher's going to preach something decent that day. Otherwise, we'll say the sermon wasn't very good today. How am I going to get through the week? Do you have a Bible? Which is what I heard somebody say this summer, and it challenged me. Don't leave a church because they're not preaching enough the word of God. I don't like the teaching enough. Do you have a Bible yourself? I'm saying this to myself. Okay. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Do we believe that? Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you do not believe. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be me. I want to be hungry. I want to come and say, fill my plate, fill my cup. I don't even know what I've got in my notes anymore. I'm just freestyling. Lord, (laughs) make me hungry for you. Okay, I think that's enough. Let's stand. (laughs) Let's close our eyes. And we're going to say together three times slowly, Lord, make me hungry for you. Okay, and it might be you want to put your hand on your heart. And it might be in this time when we're saying it, that you're saying, Lord, I believe in you and I love you. I do, and I know that you have given me eternal life, but I'm dry. I'm dry. I'm distracted. I'm lazy. I love comfort. I love my sofa and my Maltesers. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my dryness. I'm sorry for not coming to you. I'm sorry for filling my, my life with other stuff that's just rubbish instead of coming to you for bread and you for living water. I'm sorry. And if that's you, just reflect that to him in your heart. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. Before we say this, I'm just going to tell you a dream I had last week. I'm not really one for dreams, but I remembered this one. A man turned up at my house to teach me the piano. He was a kind man. He had gentle eyes and kind, loving face. And he sat at the piano and he invited me to sit next to him. And I said, I'll just get you a cup of tea. And I got him a cup of tea. And then I I said, I'll just get everyone else a cup of tea. And I got everyone else a cup of tea. And he was sitting, waiting for me to teach me the piano. 
And then I saw the room was messy, and I tidied up the room, and he was still waiting. And then I saw there were some things in the kitchen, and I just thought, I'll just tidy them away. And this went on and on, until eventually I saw him stand up and look at me with such love. The piano lesson was over, and he left, and I'd missed it. And the Lord was in his love and kindness saying to me, Mary, that's what you do. Mary, that's what you do. I'm here, I'm waiting. Won't you come to me? So we're going to say three times, Lord, make me hungry for you. 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 Amen.